Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Battlefield, part of Waterloo Remembered. The next extract is introduced by Marcus Cribb, manager of Apsley House, and consists of the recollections of Rifle Officer Jonathan Leach. I've chosen this account purely because he provides an excellent overview um, of his entire campaign. From his time joining um, a line infantry regiment, transferring into the new 95th Rifles and uh, throughout the Peninsula War. It's his own modesty at the beginning of the book where he displays the fact that he cannot provide an overview of every battle from an individual's viewpoint and modestly uh, recommends the uh, accounts of Charles Napier as an official history. It's interesting to hear his um, decision on the medals. He goes into further detail uh, and much debate about the uh, Waterloo Medal and then about the Peninsula veterans who did not gain um, such distinction until much later. You can tell from his accounts where he has to turn away from even describing the battlefield that he, like many others, were much affected by the slaughter on the 18th of June especially. The men who gave their lives either for their newly reclaimed emperor or for defending their idea of a free nation and a free Europe. It caused much sacrifice and um, that is what, as part of Waterloo remembered, we are trying to bring together. Captain of the 95th Rifles, Jonathan Leach, an officer of Wellington sharpshooters during the Peninsula, South of France and Waterloo campaigns of the Napoleonic Wars. Read by Marcus Cribb. Soon after dark, on the evening of the 15th, the drums beat to arms and the bugles sounded to assemble the division. But as the soldiers were billeted in every part of the city, the night was drawing to a close and morning beginning to dawn by the time the whole of the troops were collected and formed. We then advanced by the road through the forest of Soignan and halted near the village of Waterloo, where the troops of the Duke of Brunswick joined us. 
No one who has campaigned needs to be told that a multiplicity of rumours, reports, speculations and calculations, most of them vague, contradictory and unfounded, are the forerunners of an army of an advance. The enemy is in a position at such a point with so many thousand of men his front covered by a deep and impassable river, declares one. The troops stationed at such a point must inevitably be overpowered and annihilated before assistance can arrive, says the second. We shall have a brush with their advance guard in less than an hour, declares a third, and so on. Every man conjuring up something wherewith to throw light not only on the intended operations and movements of his own army, but moreover on those of the enemy. The ondits of the present occupation were so by means few that the heads of the many which had thus been racked and tormented with conjectures were ere long otherwise employed. Our division and the Brunswick troops, after a halt of an hour or two near Waterloo, were directed to advance, and we arrived at Captibra about two hours after midday. Long before we reached this point, which consists of a few houses at the junction of four roads, we were aware that something not of an amicable nature was in progress between the Belgian troops under the Prince of Orange and the French under Marshal Ney, as a number of wounded Belgians were proceeding towards Brussels. An occasional carronade was moreover heard in our front. The troops under the Prince of Orange had been driven back on Cachebra after some resistance. We found the Prince in possession of Cachebra, occupying also woods on his right and a farmhouse in his front as it advanced posts. The French were moving on in great force towards Cachebra and to a woods on the left of the road at the moment of arrival of our division. The Duke of Wellington instantly directed our battalion to occupy and defend this wood and we kept possession of it throughout the day in spite of the many attempts made by the enemy to dispossess us of it, who kept us constantly engaged until night. Several hours had been spent in this unequal contest, although we were aware that reinforcements were marching from different points to our assistance. It was not until late in the afternoon that the head of Baron Charles Alton's division was seen approaching, and a welcome sight it was. Supported by this division, which was ushered into the field by a cannonade from the enemy, we drove back their light troops, with whom we continued to get engaged until night. About two of three hours before dark, we reached that position which has been rendered so memorable from the sanguinary contest which took place on it the following day. The French occupied a ridge of heights opposite to us and kept up the occasional cannonade until dark. The two preceding days and nights having been spent in marching, fighting and without sleep, the floods of rain that descended the whole night of the 17th, which we passed on the position lying down by our arms, did not disturb our repose. For myself at least, I can answer that I never in my whole life slept more soundly although thoroughly drenched the skin before I lay down on the ground, which was like a snipe marsh. Our men lost no time after daylight appeared on the morning of the 18th in drying and cleaning their arms and preparing for the battle, which was so clear must inevitably take place. So many detailed accounts of the Battle of Waterloo have already been written by all sorts and descriptions of persons, civil and military, that it be presumptuous in a regimental officer who was necessarily tied to one spot with his regiment during the whole of the action to endeavour to throw light on a subject so frequently discussed. I would fain, however, to touch on some of the different occurrences which took place during the momentous struggle on the 18th of June, and more particularly 
such as happened between our division and that portion of the French army, which was so repeatedly sent to dislodge us from the ground we were posted. The farmhouse of La Haysart, about a quarter of a musket shot distance in front of the hillock and on the other side of the road, was occupied by one of the light battalions of the German Legion, belonging to Baron Alton's division. Several pieces of artillery were planted on the right near the road and others further on the left. The only troops to the left of our division were some foreign battalions, which had formed the extreme left of the Duke of Wellington's positions. They were supported, I believe, by some of the regiments of the British cavalry, with the exception of Sir Colville's division, which was detached at a distance some miles to the right of the position to watch over the enemy in another quarter. The remainder of the infantry, British, Hanoverian, Brunswickers, etc., etc., were formed to the right of the Genap Road, having the Chateau of Hougoumont in the front on the right which was defended by the British guards. The mass of our cavalry were, I believe, in the rear of the centre and in reserve. There may undoubtedly be some inaccuracies to the rough sketch I've attempted to draw, but I believe the general outline is not very incorrect. On a ridge of hills higher than those of which our army stood and immediately opposite it was the French position. The ground rose gradually towards each of the positions of the hostile armies from a broad and open valley which might be termed neutral ground, being entirely free from wood, with the exception of some trees near Hougoumont, and having neither ditches, rocks, walls, nor enclosures, the field was particularly adapted for the operations of cavalry, and, moreover, the approach to each position being exposed, the effects of artillery could not fail to be severely felt by both parties. The Battle of Waterloo. As I did not happen to consult my watch, I shall not be positive as to the exact moment at which the battle commenced. But I should say that between 10 and 11 o'clock, our attention was at first attracted to a heavy cannonade on the right of the army, followed by an exceedingly sharp fire of light troops, which proved to be the commencement of a desperate attack made by a large force under Jerome Bonaparte on the Chateau of Hougoumont. As it was impossible for us to see what was going on at that point, there being some higher ground between us and Hugomont, I shall not attempt to describe the many desperate and impetuous attacks made by the enemy hour after hour on this chateau, in each of which they perished in heaps by the fire of its undaunted defenders, whom neither the unremitting fire of shot and shells from the numerous French batteries nor the swarm of infantry which assailed it again and again could dislodge from this important post. As yet, all was quiet in the immediate front of our division, but after a calm comes a storm. We perceived our adversaries bringing into position on the heights opposite, gun after gun, and ere much time had elapsed, there were, at a moderate computation, 50 pieces of artillery in batteries staring us in the face and intended particularly to salute our division, the farm of Le Haisson, and the left of Baron Alton's division. The enemy's columns were not yet visible, being covered by some undulations of ground near the summit of their position. In an instant, this numerous and powerful artillery opened on us, battering at the same moment the farmhouse of La Haisant. Under the cover of this cannonade, several large columns of infantry, supported by heavy bodies of cavalry and preceded by a multitude of light infantry, descended at a trot into the plain, with shouts and cries of vive l'empereur, and some of them throwing their caps in the air and advancing to the attack with such confidence an imputicity as to if the bare possibility of our being able to withstand the shock was out of the question, fighting as they were under the immediate eye of their emperor, 
But Napoleon was destined in a few minutes after the commencement of this hubbub to see his imperial legions recall in the greatest confusion and with a dreadful carnage, with a great loss in prisoners. The fire of our two companies posted in the excavation near the road and from the remainder of the battalion on the hillock, as also that from the windows and loopholes by the Germans in La Haisante, had already inflicted a severe loss on the enemy. In spite of it, they pressed boldly and resolutely on until met by our first line, which delivered such a fire when they approached the thorn hedge as shattered their ranks and threw them into disorder. And this was increased by the cheers and an attempt of our line to close with them. At this instant, the household brigade of cavalry coming up to our support rushed gallantly amongst the infantry and the cavalry, which were endeavouring to retrieve matters for them and drove them back, man and horse in terrible confusion and dismay with the immense loss. It was, I think, about this time that the brigade consisting of the Royals, Scots Greys and Enskilling Dragoons so made a brilliant charge and took to eagles and 1,700 prisoners. Accounts and various and contradictory as the time and place of Sir Thomas Picton's death. I believe there are many living witnesses who agree with me of the declaration that immediately after we had repulsed the French in their first attack and as Sir Thomas Picton rode forward to the crest of the position amongst some of our skirmishers to look at the retreating enemy, an unluckily straggling musket shot put a gallant put a period to his existence, and thereby deprived the army of one of its most gallant, experienced and talented generals. His loss had been universally admitted and sincerely regretted. The command of the division now devolved on Sir James Kempt, an officer whose brigade our battalion had served in the last two campaigns of the Peninsular War, and whose zeal, gallantry and abilities were so well known and acknowledged. The roar of cannon and musketry continued without intermission on the right, and although the lesson which the enemy had lately been taught by our division and the heavy cavalry made them delay a considerable time before they renewed their attack on us in a regular form, they kept up a constant and well-directed cannonade, from which we sustained a heavy loss, without the power of immediately retaliating, except for some pieces of artillery which the French batteries vastly outnumbered. After... Having endured for a length of time and a tolerable degree of patience, this eternal pounding of shot and shells, Song Simpsons appeared for the second and equally formidable attack being about to commence on our division and the farmhouse of La Haisante. The second edition of Vive l'Empereur, En avant, mes enfants, and other stimulating cries burst forth as their masses of infantry and of cavalry again advance in the most imposing and intrepid style under cover of a terrible cannonade and of their light troops. The 4th, 40th and 27th regiments, which had arrived on the field from Brussels under Sir John Lambert's command, I believe, after the battle had command, had sent to support us. Nothing could exceed the determined bravery with which the Germans defended the farmhouse of La Haisante, but the desperate attack which was now being made on it having expended the whole of their ammunition and there being no means of supplying them with more, they were driven out and the house was instantly filled with the enemy's infantry. For, for several hours afterwards, they kept up a dreadful fire from loopholes and windows in the upper part of it, whereby they raked the hillock so as to render it untenable by a battalion. They were also enabled to establish on the knoll and crest of the hill 
a strong line of infantry which knelt down, exposing only the heads and shoulders to our fire. Thus, the closest and most protracted contest of musketry, perhaps on record, was continued for several hours, during which we were several times supplied with fresh ammunition. The artillerymen were swept from the guns, which were within reach of the house and the hillock. The possession of La Haisante by the French occasioned a vast loss to our division, which was so diminished in numbers that all our reserves and infantry were brought up into our first and now only line were as were also the 4th and 40th regiments. Sir Andrew Barnard received a wound early in the action the com- and the command of our battalion was then devolved onto Lieutenant Colonel Cameron. That officer was likewise severely wounded some time afterwards and the command of the battalion fell to my lot during the remainder of the day. The 27th regiment had its good qualities of steadiness Patience under fire and valour, put more severely to test than perhaps any other corps in the field. It was formed in a hollow square a short distance to the rear of the right of our division, with one of its faces looking into the road as a protection against any which of the enemy's cavalry might make charging up that road. This brave old regiment was almost annihilated in square by the terrible fire of musketry kept up on it from the knoll, whilst it was impossible for them to pull a trigger during the whole time as they would have likely been kill friends and foe. Those who may chance to visit the field of Waterloo cannot fail to find the spot in which I have mentioned near the road at a short distance from the thorn hedge, a small dark square of darker colour than the rest of the ground immediately about it, marking the grave of this gallant Irish regiment. Every kind of exertion was made by the French officers during this blaze of musketry to indulge their men to advance from the crest of the ridge and from the hillock to charge us, and although by the daring and animating example shown by many of them, they at times prevailed on a certain portion of their men to advance a few yards. The fire which we sent amongst them was such that they were glad to get back under the cover of the knoll, such of them at least as were not disabled. In this manner continue the contest of our part of the line hour after hour, without any appearance of it being decided as long as one side remained alive on the other side. The arrival of the Prussians had long been expected, but the only in imitation we had of their approach was the smoke of a distant cannon occasionally seen on the far left. About seven o'clock in the evening, a party of their lancers arrived on the field to announce the, the approach of their army. It was about this time that the last and desperate attack was made by Napoleon with his guard to annihilate us before the Prussians should arrive to our assistance. That this grand effort entirely failed and that his imperial guard was driven back in an irrefutable confusion and with immense slaughter carrying with it over the field like the receding waves of the sea everything on its surface is universally known. The Prussians were now commencing an attack on the extreme right of the French which the Duke of Wellington being aware of and witnessing the immense loss which they had suffered in their last attack as also their indescribable confusion ordered the general advance of his whole army to put the finishing stroke to the work of this bloody day. The lines moved forward rapidly and in fine order, loudly cheering, and the the time only which was required for us to reach the enemy's position sufficed to complete this most hardly contested, sanguinary and important battles. Having principally touched on what took place on the left of the army under my own eye, it remains to be added that the right and centre 
were exposed throughout the day to a constant and tremendous fire of artillery, to a murderous discharge of musketry and to desperate charges of cavalry, all of which were combined provided insufficient to drive them from their position or to break a single square. Although the brave cuirassiers of the French fell in heaps in their strenuous and repeated attempts to do so. Those amongst us who had witnessed in the peninsula many welcome deceptions were agreed on one point, that we had never seen before such determination displayed by the French on this day. Fighting under the eye of Napoleon and feeling what a great and important stake they contested for will account for their extraordinary presence and valour and for the vast efforts which they made for the victory. The loss sustained by the army was such as might have been expecting in so long and closely contested a battle. There were a sorry reckoning amongst the officers and soldiers of our battalion, as well as in the 2nd and 3rd battalion, which were in Sir Clinton's division. Soon after daybreak the following morning, I mounted my horse for the purpose of glancing my eye over the field of battle. It was not the first of the kind on which I had looked, but the frightful carnage of men and horses lying so comparatively a smaller compass, thousands of the wounded of the two armies which had yet not been removed, together with their groans and lamentations, produced such an impression on the mind as every writer who is attempted to bring it home to the conception of those who are not eyewitnesses of the bloody scene which this huge charnel house presented has failed to effect. I will relinquish it, therefore, as a hopeless undertaking, and will turn willingly from this scene, which, in cold blood, will not bear inspection, towards the French metropolis on the road of our army had put in motion nine or ten o'clock in the morning of the 19th. We followed the wreck of the army without delay, and without any attempt being made on their part to stop our progress, until we arrived about the end of June near St. Denis, which town they had barricaded and appeared determined to defend. A few days after the battle, Sir Charles Colville's division took Combray by Escalade with trifling loss. In the encampment near St. Denis, I one day overheard the following curious dialogue between some soldiers of our division an Irishman, who was washing his linen under a hedge close to my tent, observed some of his comrades similarly employed. I'm told the news, papacies come out of England, and by them Highlanders have got all the credit for the battle. To this, a Highlander who was on the opposite side of the hedge had heard the remark and replied, and so they ought, meaning thereby, I presume, so they ought. The Irishman, however, appeared by no means disposed to see that point and very naturally proceeded, sure, didn't we do our duty as well as any of them Highlanders' regiments and lose as many men? I in much doubt, nevertheless, whether Honest Pat's logic carried with it the conviction of the Highlander, which it was most indisputably ought to have done. They continued to discuss the point for a considerable length of time, and it terminated, I fancy, in the same manner as all arguments ever do. But each party retained the same opinions with which they first set out. One cannot but applaud the feeling displayed by the Irishman for the honour of his regiment. And in good truth, the same feeling has manifested itself in hundreds of others, of all ranks, of different regiments, who fought on the bloody fields of Waterloo and Catribra. A few months after the army of occupation 
had reached the north of France from Paris, medals were sent out from England and distributed amongst the regiments which had fought at Waterloo. Every man on whom this honourable mark of distinction was conferred must undoubtedly have felt extremely gratified, conscious that he had lent a hand in gaining a battle more sanguinary and obstinately contested, perhaps, than any to be found in the annuals of history, and one of which the fate of Europe depended. The mode of distributing this badge was as such that no one could object to, for it was not conferred on the few and withheld from the many, but the very same description of medal was on this occasion suspended at the breast of the commander-in-chief and the private soldier. That was Marcus Cribb, manager of Apsley House, reading from the recollections of rifle officer Jonathan Leach. And you can follow Marcus on Twitter at mcribbhistory. Stay tuned to The Napoleon Assist, where more instalments of the Voices from the Battlefield series will be released throughout the day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.